Well, welcome to the Wonderful Words of Life radio program. We are in Hebrews chapter 12 today. And my, 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 what a tremendous study it we have enjoyed in this great epistle to the Hebrews. We are in a transitional chapter. This chapter is going to add to what we studied in Hebrews chapter 11. Of course, the first 10 chapters of the book of Hebrews, uh, the Apostle Paul has just centered this entire letter around Christ and uh, his superiority over the old covenant. And chapter 11, Paul was exhorting the Hebrew Christians to embrace the faith uh, and use and he's using the um, the heroes of faith as an example for the Hebrew Christians to follow. And now in chapter 12, he is going to exhort them to go on to take the faith as, uh, of the old covenant believers as an example of what they are to do to step out in faith, fully embrace Christ as their Savior, Lord, and Messiah, their high priest. And then he exhorts them just to remain and maintain that faithfulness and to go on into the things of God, knowing that uh, we have now a much better covenant than they in the Old Testament uh, had. And so going back to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 39 and 40, Paul tells us that very thing. But before we get started, I want to I want us to hear from the psalmist. Notice uh, the psalmist in, in 90, uh, the 90th uh, division of the Psalms. This is the Psalm of Moses. Notice what he says. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting. Uh, you are God. And notice when we see this in the book of Jeremiah. Notice in chapter 10, inasmuch as there is none like you, O Lord, you are great and your name is great in might. Who would not fear you, O king of the nations? For this is your rightful due. For among all the wise men of the nations and all their kingdoms, there is none like you. Praise God. Amen. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful today for your goodness and for your mercy. Lord, you are the one who inspired all scripture. And we ask you through the Holy Spirit to breathe on us today. Give us wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. And we'll give you thanks and praise for that in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise God. I want to read you before we actually get into our study something that Albert Barnes wrote concerning uh, this very chapter that we are about to study. Notice he writes and he says this, the apostle having illustrated the nature and power of faith in the previous chapter, speaking of chapter 11, proceeds in this chapter, chapter 12, to exhort those to whom he wrote to apply the same principles of faith to their own case and to urge them to manifest the same steady confidence in God and perseverance in their holy walk. And I think that is so apropos to our life today. There are many things that want to rob us of faith that would cause us to stagger at the promises of God. But we must have the confidence that the God who wrote the scriptures and the God who said that uh, he will make us stand. We should have that same confidence all the way up to our present day and our present hour. Amen. And I think that's the 
uh, message of Hebrews chapter 12. So we're going to be again in verse one and the first four verses I've titled uh, fixing our eyes upon Jesus. As long as we look upon him, we're going to be fine. Amen. Praise the Lord. Notice in verse one, it says, wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience, patience, the race that is set before us. I want us to remind ourselves of what Paul wrote concerning the faith of Abraham in Romans chapter four. Notice he says this. He says, Paul's uh, writing of, of Abraham said he did not waver or he did not stagger at the promises of God, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. And there's some things in this verse here that I want us to see. Number one, it says, Paul wrote, wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. And of course, Paul is referring to all the heroes of faith that he mentioned in the previous chapter. But now you have heroes of faith. Maybe it was your dad. Maybe it was your mom. Maybe it was your grandparents or maybe it was a friend, someone that led you to the Lord and they remained faithful all of their life. You know, these are all the cloud of witnesses. One translation says all of these that are cheering us on from the grandstands. They're all in heaven now and they're looking down and they're uh, very concerned about your walk of faith, my walk of faith. And the fact that we're going to endure to the end. Amen. Praise God. But notice that Paul says this also. He says, laying aside every weight. Now, just think of an Olympian athlete and how that this person trains to where they don't have an extra ounce of fat on their body because that one ounce may determine whether or not they win a medal or whether they're disqualified. So that's very important, laying aside every weight and the sin which does so easy, easily beset us. You know, speaking of Olympians, especially Olympian runners, I'm reminded years ago when I was watching a certain Olympic event, it was a women's long distance run. And there was an American uh, woman in the race and she was expected to win a medal. She was that good. But in the race, there was another runner who came up beside her, came up from behind her and clipped her foot. And, and our uh, USA hopeful, she fell, uh, fell down and, and rolled into the center of the uh, of the track and uh, lost. She was not able to finish that race. And that remind, has always reminded me of what sin does. Sin stops us. It besets us. And of course, uh, you know, this word beset, it means uh, to thwart. It means to set aside. And uh, that's what sin does. It sets us. It stops our walk of faith. It stops us from accomplishing that plan and purpose that God has for our life. Amen. And let's finish this verse out. It says, wherefore, seeing we're also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. Wavering faith is a weight, the weight of wavering and the sin of course, unbelief is sin and the sin which does so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. It is God that gives us a race to run. Amen. And so through faith and through patience, 
we are going to run that race and we are going to win a prize. Amen. Praise God. And of course, that pride is, is a crown. Amen. It's that victor's crown that uh, that God will give us in that day. Uh, verse two, this is how we run our race. Notice in verse two, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of, of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus now is that one that we look to. Amen. And just like an Olympian runner who is always looking at the finish line, that's where his heart is fixed. That's where his eyes are fixed. All of his discipline, all of his training uh, directed toward the finish line so that he may uh, win the race and he may receive the prize. And uh, of course, it's Jesus that enables us to run that race. And he is the author, the beginning of our faith. He is also the finisher. Actually, Robertson, A.T. Robertson says he is the perfecter of our faith. Amen. Praise God. He is. Jesus is the perfecter of our faith. He is the one that uh, caused us to begin this race. And he is also the one that will cause us, if we'll look to him now, to finish our race and to receive the prize. But notice it also says here in verse two, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. The joy, who for the joy that was set before him. Do you know where that joy come from? It came from, of course, him taking our place, finishing God's plan, perfecting the plan of redemption. That's something that the Old Testament saints, they got to a certain point. Amen. They, they could not follow through with the plan and purpose of God because Jesus in their time had not had not come on the scene. He had not gone to the cross. He was not raised the third day. You and I in this dispensation, see, we receive that tremendous promise. And that's why it says that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross and he despised the shame. And I, I like that old saying that says when Jesus was on the cross, you were on his mind. Amen. That's why he went to the cross. He went to the cross because he loved God. He came here to finish uh, this plan, this great plan of redemption that God had initiated many, many, many thousands of years ago. When uh, he spoke to Adam and Eve, and, he, and he, actually he was speaking to the sermon, he said, the seed of woman is going to bruise your head. Even though you will bruise his heel, he is going to bruise and crush uh, your head. Speaking of the authority of the devil uh, that he had through subtlety uh, received from Adam, that uh, Jesus would come one day, would destroy him, paralyze him, paralyze the works of the devil. And in doing that, he would redeem the fallen seed of Adam that includes you and me and that we would come to be known as the children of God, the sons and daughters of God. Praise the name of the Lord. Amen. Thank God for Jesus. Oh, don't you love Jesus? Don't you love his tremendous plan? Don't you love the way that he loves us, that he daily has mercy upon us? Amen. And loads us daily with uh, the grace of God. Amen. Praise God. And notice what else it says, that, that he despised the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And I want to remind you that Paul said this in, in Ephesians chapter 2, that he has raised us up. 
also and made us to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We have been granted the throne life. Amen. In our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What a tremendous blessing that is. That ought to be enough of an encouragement for us to endure testing and trials and to go on through faith and receive uh, our heavenly prize. Amen. Verse three, for consider him now that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your mind. So we're looking to Jesus. We consider him. We consider all that Jesus endured for us. He came out victorious. And in our testing and trials in this life, maybe this very moment, we're going through a test and a trial. If we'll look to him, if we'll consider him, amen. He promised that he would always give us a way out. And that way out is through faith in him. Praise God that we can walk through testings and trials. We can walk through the fire and we will not be burned as long as we're looking to Jesus, as long as we're considering him. And then Paul writes in verse four and he says, and ye have not resisted unto blood striving against sin. Jesus did. He resisted under the, the, the letting of blood the flow of blood that came from the nails in his hands and feet, the gaping wound in his side, the crown of thorns that was crushed upon his head and the shedding of his innocent blood. Praise God. He did that for us. He who knew no sin was made to be sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. We are clothed in his righteousness today. Amen. We have been justified through his blood. Praise God. Amen. What a tremendous blessing. Jesus is our forerunner. He's the one that we look to. Jesus is the one that we are to consider in the time of testing and trial. Get our eyes off of ourselves and get our eyes upon him. Amen. Praise God. He is the one who goes before us. And I say, praise God. Praise the Lord Jesus forever and ever. Amen. Praise the Lord. All right. Now, in verse five, uh, I've entitled this the chastening of the Lord. Now, we're going to look at chastening a little bit different. A lot of times we look at uh, we solely look at the chasing of the Lord as punishment. But uh, but really this word and we're going to see this word, it means it has more to do with training and discipline than it does with punishment, although chastening does include punishment. But in this case, I think it does not uh, have that uh, type of definition. And we'll see this. Look at verse five. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaks unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when you are rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If ye endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chastens not? Now, I think we're, we're uh, what Paul is talking about here is more in a metaphorical sense than in a literal sense. Amen. Now look at verse eight. But ye, but if ye be without chastisement, wherefore all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, 
it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Have you ever punished your children for things that they did wrong? Have you ever corrected them? Have you ever trained them? Amen. You had to train your child not to touch a hot stove because that stove was hot. Well, invariably, maybe your child went ahead and did it anyway and found out the hard way that uh, heat can hurt you. It can supply warmth, but it can also hurt you. I remember uh, my youngest grandchild. I was outside and I was uh, had a fire going in the fire pit and I was standing in between the uh, uh, my grandson and the fire because I didn't want him to get burned. Well, my other grandson uh, called out to me and I got distracted. And lo and behold, that little grandson of mine just as just within a second or two crawled all the way and put his hands on the rim of that fire pit and scorched his hands. It was just that quick, just that quick. Amen. That that child, uh, his hands were burned. And that reminds me of testings and trials and tribulations. I mean, you're streaming along one day, everything is going well. And then all of a sudden, Satan comes along and knocks our head where our feet were just a few moments before. And we're our mind is twirling, you know, and we're thinking, what in the world has just happened? Well, that's part of our training. God allows that. Part of our training is to harden our faith, to stiffen our faith. Amen. Uh, it reminds me of, of men that have spent most of their life in prison, especially prisons that are outside of the United States of America where they have been whipped, they have been tortured. And they, they, there comes a hardness to where they're able to endure things in, in prison that normally you and I that have never experienced that uh, would not be able to. Uh, there is a training, there is a discipline that comes through testings and trials. And this is exactly what the Hebrew Christians were facing. They were facing uh, the hardness of persecution, the loss of all things, the constant persecution of the Jewish brothers. They're being ostracized from the synagogue. Many of them are being uh, kicked out of their families. They're, they're considered to be dead ones. Uh, there's no communication and uh, a lot of pressure on them to go back to Judaism. And a lot of these Hebrew Christians were wavering in their faith. And that's uh, really not much different than it is today with the kind of culture that we live in and the pressure that young people face every day from the world. There is that wavering faith, especially those that graduate from high school and go to college. You know, their faith will waver. Sometimes uh, they leave their faith because they just don't understand. They're, they're not equipped to handle uh, the pressures of life and, uh, of course, the desire to be accepted and things of that nature. Well, uh, this is a situation that Paul is exhorting the Hebrew Christians, amen, to remain faithful. Notice uh, that he's talking here about chastisement. Well, this word chastisement has more to do with training and discipline. And the Lord allows us uh, to be involved in certain things, to be confronted with certain things. Why? Because he wants to prove our faith. It reminds me years ago in high school, I took a, an elective called Metal Shop. And one of my uh, projects was to make a chisel. 
Well, I had to take a bare piece of metal. I had to heat it on one end. I had to beat that one end to a point, And then I would dip that hot metal into water and that would temper the steel. And then I had to do that two or three times. I had to get a point on one end. And then that chisel was after I'd finished it, it was tested. And the, the shop manager would come and he'd beat on that chisel and he'd and see if it would crack. And if it didn't crack, then I passed. You see, and there's always the heat of testing and trial. There's always that the beatings that uh, uh, the, the constant beating and jostling and, and the things of this world. And God allows that. But now he does not allow us to be tempted above that which you are, we are able to resist. So whatever the Hebrew Christians were going through, God had a hand upon them. He was allowing them to be proved. He was allowing them to be tested for their faith to be hardened, for their faith to be proved. But they were able to resist and they were able to come out on the other end victorious. Amen. Praise God. And so chastening, training, disciplining does seem to be grievous at, at times. But through it all, we come to see the wisdom of God, the handiwork of God, the faithfulness of God, the love of God that kept us the entire time that, we're in, that we were in the heat of testing and through tryings. And notice in verse 12, he says this now. He says, wherefore, through all of this now, through all that we have been through, you know, through the first 10 chapters, through chapter 11, and now through this chapter. Notice what Paul says. He says, wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. In other words, uh, through weakness, become resolute. Amen. Become strong, become strengthened. Why? We're looking unto Jesus. We're considering him. If he made it, we can make it. In other words, don't waver or fall back. Be like-minded, just like Abraham was like-minded. Just like he didn't stagger at the promises of God, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. In other words, lift up the hands which hang down. Don't keep your head down. Keep it up. Praise God. And strengthen the feeble knees. Make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. That temptation to backslide and go back. Let that let God heal that. Amen. Through and, and revive you and refresh you and, and give you a fresh vision. Praise God of the victory that sin. Christ Jesus, looking to Jesus, considering him. Amen. That will keep us on the path to victory instead of falling back into unbelief. Amen. There's too many people now that are looking at themselves, you know, trying to gather their strength to make it through. Listen, there comes to a point you and I have to realize that we have limits. God is unlimited in his power and he's willing to use his power on our behalf, even though we don't deserve it. God wants us to finish this race. He wants to crown us with victory. He wants us to have a victorious life. But you and I, through faith, we're going to have to do that. We're going to have to apply faith, amen, to our issues and to our situations. And when we do that, praise God, looking to Jesus, considering him, we'll make it through. Amen. Praise God. Verse 14, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. How do we do this? Well, we find the strength to do these things through the love of God. Realize that God loves us. Amen. We're through testings and trials, but yet in all of it, God has his arms wrapped around us. Amen. And we love him and we realize and when we embrace Christ, when we embrace Jesus, we throw ourselves upon him. 
Amen. We love him with all of our heart, mind, soul and strength. We're going to find him loving us. We're going to find that love that he has for us. And then verse 15, Paul goes on and he says, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, the grace of God. That's what keeps us from falling. The grace of God keeps us from falling. Lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For ye know how that afterward when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Amen. Now, this word profane, according to A.T. Robinson, means to trodden underfoot. It means to unhallow. A person will only give himself to something he considers to be of great value. Esau's heritage, he sold it for a mess of pottage. Why? Because he didn't consider it to be of any value. Do you consider faith in Christ and Christ alone on the throne of your heart to be of great value? Do you, you consider everything that he has done for you and I in his death, burial, and resurrection? Do you think, uh, do you consider that to be of great value? Amen. Well, look diligently to it if you do. Amen. All right. Verse 18. For ye know, for ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched and that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and temperance. And the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. What is Paul saying? We're not coming to that mount anymore. That, that was the old covenant. We've passed on to that. To what? Well, verse 22 tells us, for ye are coming to Mount Zion. And unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly in the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to the God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. Notice that. To the spirits of just men made perfect. And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling, that speaks better things than that of Abel. This is what we've come to. We've come to the new covenant. We've come to that which will make the spirits of just men perfect. <laughs> Praise God. Amen. And it's all because of Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. That's what we're coming to. We're leaving that which is the old and we've come into that which is the new. Amen. Well, let's finish this. Verse 25. Seeing that ye refuse not him that speaks, for if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall we not we escape if we turn away from him that speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised, saying, Yet once more, I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. Speaking of that, the writings of Hosea. And this word, yet once more, signifies the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. See, here's 
One of the things about testing and trials that often we do not think of. You see, testing and trials will shaken temporal things, but it cannot shake eternal things. Paul proved that through his life and through his ministry. He was shaken many times in temporal things, but the one thing in his life that could not be shaken was the eternal things. What is the eternal things in your life? Jesus, eternal life, the things of the Spirit of God, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. All of this cannot be taken away from you. You have to give it up. But you're not crazy. I'm not crazy. We're not giving these things up. Praise God. Amen. Hallelujah. We might be shaken on the outside. Our temporal body may be shaken on the outside. But that which God has done on the inside of us cannot be shaken. Amen. As long as we're looking to Jesus and as long as we're considering him. Amen. All right. The last two verses. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom because of Jesus now which cannot be moved. This is that which cannot be shaken. Why? Because it's permanent. It's eternal. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Think of all the great things God has done for us. All the eternal things. Amen. The grace of God. Eternal. Amen. The eternal benefits and blessings of God. But there's also another aspect of the eternal uh, thing, an eternal thing of God. Notice verse 29, for our God is a consuming fire. As much as God is love, as much as he is merciful, as much as he is long suffering, as much as he loves you and I, he is also a consuming fire and he will consume those that refuse to believe. But we're not of those, amen, that go back to Destruction. We are those that go on unto glory. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. Father, thank you so much for Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, the one in whom we have to do. We will go on into victory after victory after victory. Father, we will in this life endure and we shall be saved. There is a home for us in heaven that Jesus has prepared for us. That's where we're headed to, Father, and we do it through faith and through patience. We give you praise and honor and glory in Jesus' name, Lord. Amen and amen. Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you were to die today, that you would be prepared for heaven? If you're not sure, then I encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Father God, I come to you through your Son, Jesus Christ. I repent and ask you to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I surrender my heart and life to you. By faith, I believe I receive you as my Lord and Savior, and I thank you for receiving me in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed this prayer and desire to know more about the gift of Christ that the Heavenly Father offers you, then email us at rbtc86 at gmail.com. We will be glad to answer your questions promptly and provide you at your request with materials that will help you to grow in your faith in the Lord Jesus. This is Patsy Dunning. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. And let me remind you to tune in to this station at the same time next week to hear more of the wonderful words of life. 
God bless you and remember what Jesus said, it is the Spirit who gives life.